Good. As Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Here we see that Jesus has power over all things. With nothing but a simple word, he heals these ten lepers from their incurable disease, and he sends them off to the priests. That would be like the faith healers on TV sending those whom they've cured off to the doctor, which they never do, of course. Jesus sends these men to the priests because it was the priests who would inspect them and declare them to be clean. They would verify Jesus' work. The horrors of leprosy are mostly lost on us today. By God's grace, it's now curable. But for many centuries, leprosy was a death sentence, only worse. It meant physical suffering, of course, but also immediate isolation, expulsion from one's home and family, and expulsion from the temple. Imagine going to the doctors and being told, not only do you have an aggressive, untreatable cancer, but there's a bus waiting outside that's going to take you off to a cancer camp so that at the moment you most need support, you'll never see your home or your family or your church ever again. Leprosy was also associated with God's wrath. For example, when Moses' sister Miriam complained against him, she was struck with leprosy. So too, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, is struck with leprosy for his greed. And Uzziah, a king of Israel who had a long and successful reign, let his pride get to him, and he entered the temple to offer incense, something which only a priest could do. And he was struck with leprosy. There are other examples as well, but the point is that leprosy carried with it the idea of God's very personal, very specific wrath. So when the lepers cry out from a distance, Jesus, have mercy on us, it's hard for any one of us to grasp the depth of what they're asking and the sorrows that they are enduring. Here, too, then, we glimpse the heart of Jesus. Not only is he strong and able to save, but he is willing to save them, willing to have mercy on them. And more broadly, we see that Jesus is willing to lift the curse. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, in the good world that God had first made, there was no leprosy or heart disease or cancer or depression or mental illness. There was no disease of body or of mind. Only after sin, only after rebellion against God, did these things enter in. What then does it mean for Jesus to lift this curse? It means that in lifting it for others, 
he must bear it himself. St. Paul points this out in in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. We rebelled against God by eating from a tree, and so we received the curse. And so it is on a tree that Jesus dies in order to remove the curse. Every healing that Jesus performs is then a glimpse, a microcosm of what will soon be universal. Again, St. Paul points this out. For in Adam, all die. Every man, every woman, every child, you and me. For in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Because Jesus becomes a curse for us on the tree, the curse will be lifted for all people. He has one resurrection for every last man and woman, for every last child and fetus. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And this gospel, this almost unbelievable fact, this good news, we must always hold before us and treasure in our hearts and speak to one another. Jesus has become a curse in order to lift the curse. By the tree we sinned, by the tree of his cross, we are saved. So let us trust in him. Not only is he capable of saving us, he is willing to save us. He is willing to have mercy on us, though we deserve it not. In fact, he has come only for sinners that in believing we might have life in his name. When Jesus lifts the curse for the ten lepers, we can glimpse the fullness of what he has come to do. We can glimpse the fullness of our restoration and the restoration of the world, the resurrection, and the perfect healing of our bodies and minds, the new heavens and the new earth, all that Jesus is bringing with him when he returns. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, they say. And that's our prayer, too. Now, as those lepers heard the voice of Jesus and obeyed the voice of Jesus, they were healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. And then Luke tells us that he was a Samaritan. To Jewish ears, this man would have been the least likely of all to understand spiritual things. But what this Samaritan does understand is that Jesus is the source of divine mercy. Apart from Jesus, there is no mercy of God. 
in Jesus, there is abundant mercy from God. That's precisely the point. Apart from Jesus, there is only justice, divine wrath, and curse. But in Jesus, there is forgiveness, divine mercy, and restoration. And so here again, we see this microcosm. Just as all ten lepers were cleansed by Jesus, so the entire world has been cleansed by Jesus' blood. And just as only one of ten returned to Jesus and fell at his feet, so there are very few today who fall at Jesus' feet knowing who he is. We're not ten cleansed, Jesus asks. Where are the nine? This is usually interpreted as if Jesus is grumpy that he didn't get his thank you note. But I don't think thanklessness is what Jesus is really concerned about. After all, he says nothing about thanklessness. Rather, he says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or at least that's what the English says. The Greek says something a bit more profound. Your faith has saved you. What did Jesus want for those other nine? And why did he want them to return? Not for a thank you. He wanted more for them. More for them than the temporary healing of their bodies. He wanted for them too to believe in him, that by believing they might have eternal cleansing and eternal life in his name. With Jesus, there is always more. He desires that we would know who he is and know him ever more fully. He desires that we would look to him for mercy and receive mercy from him all the days of our lives. He desires that we would entrust ourselves to him so that no matter what happens, no matter what things we must experience or what sorrows we must pass through, we would know that he has loved us, that he is conforming us to himself, and that in due time he will in fact rescue us from all. In other words, he would have us have faith and so be saved by grace through faith. Your faith has saved you, Jesus says to the leper. And no offense to St. Paul, who, I'm, who I've already quoted several times, but what Paul spends many chapters writing about in Romans and Galatians, for example, Jesus is able to say in a single sentence, your faith has saved you. He doesn't say to the leper, your faith and good works have saved you. He doesn't say, by returning to me and giving me thanks, you have now merited salvation. Congratulations. No, he says, your faith has saved you. Full stop. It is from Jesus 
that Paul learns this doctrine and so writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, not the leper, not you or me. So let us join then with this ex-leper and Samaritan at the feet of Jesus. He cleansed of his leprosy, and we with him cleansed of our sins. But how do we do this? Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Do you believe that Jesus is risen? Do you believe what he says? Then you believe that our Lord Jesus is here with us this very day. And like the Samaritan, we too may fall at his feet in gratitude for all that he has done for us. Let us separate ourselves from the world. Let us not be prideful or arrogant, thinking other things more important than Jesus, showing thanklessness in our hearts. Instead, let us cry out to Jesus for mercy, and at his speaking it shall be done. And let us receive his body upon our lips that our bodies may be prepared for full healing and resurrection. Let us receive his blood on our tongues, that with our tongues we may give him thanks and praise. For in Jesus there is abundant mercy, and in Jesus there is always more. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.